What's up, friends? Hello, another podcast. This is a doozy again. You asked for more. You said, hey, I love these long-form podcasts. I love the the long-form response videos. Um, Keep them coming. Yes, more podcasts, not less. Okay, that's really great feedback. Thank you for letting me know that. This is a conversation I had with Pastor Zach Lambert. He's a progressive pastor who leads a fully inclusive and affirming congregation. We were both at the North Point Andy Stanley Unconditional Conference. And I stayed through the weekend to hear Andy preach. And um, I'm not sure how much you're following what's going on. It's kind of crazy right now, to be honest with you. And I responded to Sean McDowell and Alan Schlemmen, I believe is his last name, who was also at the conference with kind of their take on why they're really concerned about about the conference. And then me and Zach just responded to this. I got to be honest, friends. And I express more of my my tension uh, during the podcast, but I do feel like we are witnessing maybe a pretty historical moment in the evangelical church. And this is not new. Okay, there have been historical moments in in the history of the evangelical church for a long time. And every now and then something happens that really shake things shakes things up. I think that what happened last weekend is gonna be part of a bigger shakeup, I hope at least. And you'll hear why as Zach and I talk about our experience at the conference, what it was designed to do, and then respond to Sean and Alan's critiques um, and kind of get into it. So yeah, that's what this podcast is about. This is a doozy. Again, we love your feedback and just perspective on both what we talk about and on the type of podcast I'm trying to get out to you. I really am trying to do more of these. I really enjoy them. I think that these conversations are so important. So yeah, that's the update. And of course, thank you for being here. I can't tell you how much it means to me. The podcast is growing. We Oh, I didn't mention this. Darn it. I'll mention it now. We passed a million downloads. Can you believe that? We have more than a million downloads of this podcast in about two years. I'm really humbled, friends, to even have a podcast that that does anything close to that. And having you as a listener just means the world. Um... I am only more committed than ever to the work that we're doing. I'm convinced more than ever that we have an obligation to do our part to push the church forward to help people reclaim their faith um, out of the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. And this work and you being here is a huge part of that. So thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast. Thank you for your financial support. If you're a donor, we have our winners from our many hands make light work giving campaign. They were announced in email and also on our Instagram story. So make sure you check your email to see if you won. But honestly, all the financial support that makes this work possible, your comments, your encouragement, uh, your stories of how we, we've, we've been able to help you in your faith journey really just motivate me to keep going. And being at the Unconditional Conference and talking to people uh, who were there, who have been in this space way before me, who were really encouraged by what they saw and heard um, as we move the church towards a more inclusive position was really It was Rocky Fuel, honestly, friends. So, all right, uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Zach. I hope you enjoy it. Would love your thoughts, would love them, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. It is 10 a.m. Eastern time on a Thursday. If you're watching this, thank you. Hopefully, you're ditching work and you're like, you know what? I'd rather watch this live, to which I say, that means the world. It's good to be with you all. This is an early one. I'm sorry. You can blame our guest for that, okay? His his timetables <laughs> that he gave me were un, unrealistic, but, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. I understand. I'm just kidding. Uh, friends, it's great to be with you today. We're going to be talking about... Oh, I don't know, the person who broke the internet, the conference that broke the internet, and all of the Theo bros and bro evangelicals, patent pending, 
incorporated, whatever, um, that are really upset with a church for hosting a conference that was designed to help parents better love and affirm their LGBTQ plus children. So if you have not been following the news, we'll get into some of the details and then we're going to respond to one of the podcasts that came out recently with Sean McDowell and his guest, who was actually at the conference, which, spoiler alert, I was there as well. Uh, and we're going to talk about their take versus our take and kind of the differences and what we saw. Uh, we have about five or six different clips from the podcast, so we're not going to respond to the whole thing because it's like an hour and a half conver long conversation. And if there's one thing I've learned, one thing I've learned, when you have a podcast you're responding to that's an hour more or more, your response is like two hours or more. And I respect your time, I really do. So we're gonna try and get to the nitty gritty as soon as we can. If you're watching for the first time, hello, my name is Tim. I'm the creator of the New Evangelicals, which includes this YouTube channel. Welcome in. We are designed to hold space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocate for accountability in the church, and help people explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. So I would love to see your comments as we, as we talk and as we get into things. I can even do this, look. Whoa, Alex, you made it. Bro Evangelicals, amazing, that's right. We can put your stuff right in the chat and right in the video. So let's get to our guest. I have with us Zach Lambert, a pastor in Austin, Texas, which you say, Zach, that's is right. the only good part of Texas, so fair. And you pastor a fully inclusive and affirming community. You're you know, pretty well known on the Twitters. Uh, people, especially your detractors, really seem to like you and are drawn to you like bugs to a lantern, it seems like. You just attract those people. So it's good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here, man. It's uh, it's a gift to be on this. It's a gift to be the zapper of the Theo Bros as they come in <laughs> to the Drawn to the Light. Also, shout out to the comment you tossed on there. Alex Hodges LaCroix is a, a member of our church here in Austin. So, Oh, awesome. That's so Great cool. Great to see you. That's great. Hey, listen, friends, I know that we we do use some fun terms like the Obros or Bro Evangelicals, but of course, when we get down to it, the point here is not to, uh, you know, make fun of or mock people for who they are. It's all about just uh, really responding to their critiques um, and trying to engage the ideas and what they're promoting. So our intent is never to dehumanize. Of course, we all like to have a little bit of fun here and there, but but in all seriousness, the whole point of what we're trying to do is just to expose the different perspective that, that a lot of us have come out of, uh, what they're still advocating for and also in this podcast we're trying to talk about yeah uh, what's going on here um, with this unconditional conference and what does it mean and what do we do with it and is this a sign of hope or is it another one of those wow looked really great but turns out it was just what we all suspected so here's what we're gonna do um, Zach I'm thinking um, why don't we first talk about just our, our brief experience at the conference briefly, and then we'll kind of intro the, some of the clips that we're going to respond to, and then we'll go from there. So do you want to go first? I would just love to know your thoughts. You were at the Unconditional Conference with me. We hung out a lot with some other amazing people. What was your takeaway? Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts of the conference was when you and I saw each other in person for the first time <laughs> down a long hallway. And, uh, you know, it was a meet cute right from a movie with a big hug at the end because <laughs> um, we've been friends online for a while. Uh, yeah. But it was good to meet in person and hang out a little bit. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I uh, chose to go to this conference months ago when I saw it released. Um, 
purely out of curiosity. It felt like um, yeah. this is going to be a big thing. Uh, obviously, Andy is a, a mega platform, uh, senior pastor of a mega evangelical church and a network of churches that is massive. Um, a network of churches that we were actually a part of in 2019. Our church in Austin was a part of the North Point Greater Network. And so I've been around Andy for many years. Um, and it just felt like North Point hosting this conference that seems uh, affirming and inclusive and um, like it's going to be a real help in the movement toward full LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church mm -hmm. and in the world. Um, it was like, I just have to be there. It felt like something that I had to be at. And so that's why I bought the ticket. And when it happened, uh, bought the ticket back in the day, it was like not a big deal. People were not really talking about it. It was only until yeah. about a month before that it started really popping off with the Mueller article and other things that started happening. The conference ends up being sold out. A hundred people get turned away um, because they are over capacity. Um, it, it was just incredible. But the actual experience of the conference, I went in, I'll be honest, very skeptical. Um, I've been in evangelical spaces my entire life prior to planting our church. And um, most of these spaces are pretty bait and switch, right? I yeah. just got invited to another conference similarly in San Antonio that is all like, we got to learn how to love LGBTQ plus people in the church and we've done a bad job and all the things. And then it's like two clicks to get to their page where they say, um, this is, you know, we are not promoting full inclusion of LGBTQ plus people in the church. We right. believe this, we believe that. And so it's, it's under this veneer of exclusion, but it has this, um, it has this front facing uh, idea that like really it's going to be inclusive and really it's going to be affirming. That was right. my understanding. I, that's what I thought was going to happen at this conference. And to be candid, it was the exact opposite. Like every single part of the conference from the moment we walked in and there are LGBTQ plus folks, gay and trans folks holding the door open, welcoming and leadership. Um, every speaker that I heard was affirming. Every book that was being sold was affirming. Um, every breakout, there was just kind of this assumption that we are all uh, here to fully support and fully include and affirm our LGBTQ plus kids and neighbors and church members and all of that stuff. And while it was purely focused on helping parents with their LGBTQ plus kids, it really broadened to how do we help pastors that pastor LGBTQ plus people um, and how do we do some repentance for the the harm we've done to LGBTQ plus people? Um, yeah. And that was a really beautiful part of it too. So I walked away from the conference massively encouraged and um yeah i'd love to hear your take what did you think um yeah i mean that you know i i i reminded myself and people watching this people listening to it on the podcast when we post it later they're probably way ahead of where you know even this conference might be as For far sure. as like wh wh how they think about these things and then listen that's totally fair and that's where i'm at too like i'm i'm with all of you like hey why are we even having these conferences like this should be a no-brainer you know but at the same time, and we talk about this a lot, if we're gonna push things forward, we have to start somewhere and we have to, you know, uh, blow on the sparks that we can find to hopefully start that Absolutely. kindling, right? And so for me, yes, uh, this conference, first off, was not designed for me, so I, I kept that in mind. It was designed for parents who really grew up or maybe were part of evangelical spaces that would tell them that if their kid ever comes out, the only option is to say, well, I love you, but I can never affirm what you do or who you are ultimately because of the Bible. I mean, that that's a very nice way of putting a, a, a blunt way of putting it. People like, you know, um, well, just other people in this space who maybe approach uh, or, or advocate for like a third way, they'll say it in a yeah. much nicer way 
it sounds more loving way, but the but the fruit is the same. You know, I'm not. I don't think they, they would ever uh, attend their their kid's wedding or anything like that, right? Or or support them transitioning at some point if it was the right move between them and their doctors. But they would say, "Well, I'm doing this because I love you." So for those people who, and also those who listen to the, maybe more of the political rhetoric, right, and just hear the term mm-hmm. like groomer and that the LGBTQ mind virus is taking over kids, um, they need uh, they need some baby steps. They need some yeah. places to start that would say, we get it, you're scared, right? Uh, you're, you're concerned, you're worried for your kid. We understand that, okay, we do. Here are some ways to think about this that would really help you better love your child that will better affirm who they are that will they will, that will actually promote your relationship with them because one of the strongest i think reasons um to have this approach is that the fruit of the other approach usually leads to a very unhealthy relationship. Um, statistically, uh, uh, LGBTQ folks, their risk of of serious mental health and and and, and um, I, uh, ideation of trying to unalive themselves goes up when the relationship is strained or they're going to a non affirming church. So the right. data is pretty clear that like that that reality of hey, we love you, but. Does a lot of harm. And so this conference was not about that. (laughs) This conference was like, was pretty much saying, hey, um, here are things you should and should not do. Here are ways to approach it. Also, parents, we can hold space for you. We can let you kind of grieve and vent for you because this is so new. But also, they kind of maybe, I, I didn't hear it, I didn't hear it put this bluntly, but they kind of hinted like, even though it's not maybe what you planned, it's still actually a beautiful, wonderful life that you can have with your children, and that could be a great thing. So it gave, the, I think, parents a lot of hope. And so yeah. that was the vibe I got from it too. Uh, one of my favorite, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go into, into serious details because it was a private event, and I want to respect people's ethical boundaries. Yeah. But there were just quite a few sessions I sat in on, I'll say, that were like, yes, and also gave me great language for like understanding the different ways that like the church and culture has seen some of these issues, right? So I, I was like you, Zach. I was pretty freaking encouraged. Um, there were people there. Oh. There were some. Yeah, it, it was just. It was a very good event, and I could tell that the parents who were there got there because they were either ahead of like like where, where you and I are, or yeah. they were um, brand new and they were really scared. Yeah. They were terrified, yeah. and they did. They, you can tell that they didn't want to lose the relationship with their kids, but also this the way that that they've been taught about the Bible and the way that 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 they've been taught to view their kids now because of the church. You can tell was at total odds. And they were here to try and find a better path forward. And I think that the event organizers did a really good job with that, frankly. Absolutely. There were two things that really stood out to me that were surprising. As I said, I went in pretty much assuming it was going to be a typical evangelical bait and switch. But the first thing that stood out is that from like moment one, um, which uh, there was an opening song. Again, I won't get into a ton of details, but I think this is fine. There was an opening song at the very beginning of the conference. That was the first thing, opening song. And the song was essentially about the LGBTQ plus experience in the church, how harmful it has been and how we need to do better. The lighting behind it was rainbow and the lyrics on the screen were moving in between the lyrics of the song and statistics about the harm that LGBTQ plus people have experienced in the church and in Christian circles. I mean, that was moment one of the conference. And I was just like, 
I couldn't believe it. Right. You know? So that was that stuck out to me massively. The other thing was that every parent story that was, uh, you know, that I heard not just around the tables, but up on the stages was our kid came out. I was essentially not great. I threw Bible verses at them. I gave them the old script. I did a bad job and I repent. I'm sorry for that. And we are now doing a better job. And look, here's my son and his husband at our family Christmas dinner. Look at this picture. How great is that? You know, yeah. so it was like explicitly we messed up when we did it the old way. Now we're doing it the new way. And it's been massively better, more Christlike and all of that. And then the third thing, the last thing was that a lot of these conferences are straight people talking about queer people, right? Yes, yes. Um, but that's not what this was. There were uh, multiple queer people in queer relationships who were platformed at the highest stage. Um, we went to a breakout together that was literally five LGBTQ plus people on a stage. They were the only ones on the stage just sharing their stories um, completely in leadership. And that was one of the most packed breakouts of the whole time. And yep. so it was not just people talking about LGBTQ plus people. It was LGBTQ plus people in most of them in queer relationships platformed in a way that was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you all the way. So that's our take. And we'll kind of unpack some more of our thoughts as we go along, because we're actually here to respond uh, to a video um, of, of Sean McDowell and Alan Schlemmen. I hope I'm saying his last name right. It's, if I if I mispronounced it, Alan, you're watching this. It was not intentional. Alan is someone from the Stand to Reason group. This is like an apologetic network. Um, I, I think people in the network are people like Sean. Um, uh, Alan mentioned that that he knows people like Frank when I talked to him, you know, Frank Turek and other folks like that. You know, they're in that like uh, even evangelical apologetic world and Alan was there to cover it um, and and him and Sean did a, um, a hour and a half long podcast about it and so what we did is we, we picked a few clips that we thought might be good our job of course in this is not to misrepresent Sean or Alan or, or to pull Absolutely. two second clips. We, we tried to pull clips that, that are definitely in context that are not misrepresented. Um, and we try to pick ones that were fair. And, and I listen, I've talked to Sean. Uh, he's, he's been on this podcast before. One thing I told him to his face is I do appreciate that his general posture on his podcast tends to be that he is trying just to be as honest with himself and the audience as he knows how with his guests. He's not very sensational very often. He talks to people all across the spectrum, people like John Steingard. I appreciate that about Sean, and yeah. I want to return the favor. Our goal is not to you know try and poke fun or, or trying to be cruel towards them at all. Of course, we have some concerns. Of course, we're going to disagree, but that's what makes the internet work. So we're going to get into a few of these clips. Are you cool with that, Zach? Let's do it. Hit play. All right. Baby. All right. Here we go. Hit play. Uh, friends, let me know how the audio is. You know, still working on some of the kinks here. But this was this was kind of at the intro. This is one of the first things that Alan and Sean talked about. Uh, they did admit that, hey, maybe the church has made some mistakes. Let, let's go ahead and listen. But like you mentioned, uh, for the last two decades, I've been teaching on sex, marriage, homosexuality, and of course, most recently on the transgender question. And I've recognized it we as a church have made a lot of errors in the past mm -hmm. with how we have addressed that topic and how we've specifically responded to people who've come out and said, mom, dad, I'm gay, I'm trans mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And so I've sought to correct those errors and suggest a more compassionate way to respond that is still biblically faithful. And it's precisely that aspect that I, I think this, this conference gets it wrong. And that's primarily what's prompting me to want to say, okay, yeah, I want to talk about this because um, like you mentioned, when we went to Matthew Vines' conference nine years ago, 
this was an overtly like there's nothing hidden about their agenda. They're saying, look, we want to, as you said, reform church teaching to make it inclusive of people who identify as LGBTQ and satisfy those desires as well. Um, but with this, I think something else is going on uh, and it's being done by a mega church that has a lot of influence and uh, in, in the evangelical world. And so that's why I think it's important that we have this conversation. All right, there you go. So they admit that, yes, you know, the church has has dropped the ball on how we've approached this conversation and more importantly, those people. And then goes on to reinforce that it's important that we're still biblical and that he kind of hints, I think, at least in this clip, that, you know, uh, maybe there was something a little subversive about this conference long term. So what, what are your initial thoughts on this, Zach? Yeah, my initial thoughts are this is such a beautiful, <laughs> beautifully awful picture of what evangelicalism is. Um, yes, please <laughs> do the biblical drinking game. Do it with coffee, though. <laughs> yeah, coffee. It's, as it's someone who has people. watched this, <laughs> yeah, as someone who watched the entire Sean and Alan interview two times through, you are going to be hammered if you're using anything but coffee. Um, that word biblical does a lot of heavy lifting um, throughout this. Around that podcast. Um, Sorry. But but I would say this is such an incredible picture of evangelicalism in a nutshell, right? Mm. So, evangelicalism is essentially fundamentalist Christianity with a new paint job, right? That's what it was when it came around in the 40s. They were like, yeah, we believe all the same things as fundamentalism, but they're kind of mean. So, why don't we keep all the same beliefs, but let's just be nicer? Like, let's be winsome and cool. And the National Association of Evangelicals came around in the 40s and it's been going since then. This is essentially what Alan is saying here, right? He's saying, we've done a bad job. We've gotten it wrong, but let's not examine any of the theological or biblical underpinnings of this. Let's not examine any of the beliefs or practices. Let's just say, let's do the exact same thing, but let's be nicer about it. And that's what evangelicalism is. And it ends up having the same effects, which you already talked about, um, LGBTQ plus people and especially queer youth um, at massive risk for uh, suicidal ideation and mental health problems and all of this kind of stuff. So I don't buy the uh, new approach rhetoric here from Alan. Yeah, I, I said in my video yesterday, I released a video on YouTube kind of talking about, about my overall thoughts on the conference. Here's the thumbnail for it, if wants to see it. You can watch it now, it's out there, it's all good to go. Um, but I, I said pretty much that, towards then I said, you know, I said there are two ways to view LGBTQ plus people in the evangelical church. You can call them an abomination to their face, or you can, you know, say it in a much nicer way, but still believe it essentially, you know? And that that yeah. is, that is the response that I think a lot of people, and most importantly, most LGBTQ plus people, that's the impression they come away with when they hear people say, you know, hey, we love you so much. We we really care about you, but you know, we got to stand on biblical truth and, and the Bible's clear. So sorry, like unless you repent or you're just celibate your entire life, you're always going to be in sin. And uh, that would mean that you're probably not going to go to heaven, you know? So it's like, that, that's where it leads ultimately, right? Even if they say it in nicer ways. So I totally agree. I also think, and listen, I don't know much about Alan's work. I know a little bit about Sean's. I, I keep up to date. Um, I I don't want to I don't want to read too much into it, but I think if Sean and Alan were here, I would say, listen, guys, if you really believe that the church has dropped the ball, it'd be great to see you call out 
what you're talking about, because I can give you a laundry list of political perspectives, of comments from the 80s, the 90s to 2000s from high profile evangelical leaders who have said things that are outlandish. I can show you glimpses right now of things like Turning Point Faith, things that, by the way, Frank Turek has attended, sitting in a room full of pastors, listening to people from the stage saying, we have to mock trans people. We have to mock who they are. Literally, I'm not, I was in the room when Michael Knowles said that, you know? So it's like, hey, I'm glad that you admit the church has dropped the ball. That's a great first acknowledgement. But why don't you help us call out what's happening and how much damage it's doing even if your theological position is different than mine, can we at least agree that we at least have to rehumanize the conversation? Because yeah. right now, the evangelical world, mainly white evangelicals, are incredibly loud about how much they do not approve and are terrified of the grooming agenda, which is code now for queer people. Yeah. And that's very frustrating to see and not see called out by these people as often as I would like, frankly. Completely agree. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's go to the next one. This is Alan's overview. This is his his general thought on the conference. Here we go. Maybe since you were there the whole time, give us kind of a 30,000 foot view of what happened, and then we'll jump into some of the particulars. Right, right. Well, so it was a two-day conference. Obviously, it was Andy Stanley's church, which as many people know, or maybe don't know, but obviously they have a large attendance, right? 38,000 plus or so that I think attend each weekend. But um, from what I could tell and, and the polls they kind of took informally by a show of hands, the vast majority of the people that were there didn't seem like they were from his church because mm. most of them, maybe, I don't know, just guessing here, maybe 70% were outside the Atlanta area. And also, I don't know, maybe 50% were outside of Georgia, it seemed like, from the way people raised their hands to those questions. So it seems like there was a lot of people that are not from that church that were participating in it. Um, but the, the, the conference itself was put on by an organization called Embracing the Journey, which was founded and run by Greg and Lynn McDonald. And of course, so they were there and teaching there. Uh, and their, their overall goal of the conference was to equip and train parents who have children that identify as LGBTQ and or ministry leaders who are involved in uh, you know, reaching out to people who identify in that way as well. So that was the uh, the overall kind of goal of what they were trying to do. Mm. And uh, I don't know, it, was, it seemed like there was probably 500, 500 plus people there. It was yeah. sold out. I yeah. mean, it wasn't in their main, wasn't in their main worship center, but it was in a very large auditorium where they held it and it was, it was full. Yeah, I mean, so this is pretty much accurate, uh, 100%. It was definitely sold out. By the way, just so you know, friends, you have a visual on this. And if you're watch- if you're listening to this on podcast, I have the video up, so watch it on YouTube. But this is, this is the website. This is Embracing the Journey. This was started from people who attend North Point. Uh, Greg and Lynn mm-hmm. McDonald attended North Point. So it says right here in the front, you know, that they're building bridges between LGBTQ plus individuals, their families, and the church. That's kind of like their mission statement. And... Um, one thing I thought about when Alan was saying this, and I don't disagree with him, by the way, I'm sure a lot of people were from yeah. out of town. And Andy said this from the stage on Sunday morning, they've been doing things like this for a long time. They have a thing called Parent Connect, which has been happening for a long, long time, which is pretty much in, which is pretty much an unconditional conference, but like in a small group form that happens, I think, once a month across all of their yeah. spaces. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people weren't from North Point because the people at North Point might be like, yeah, I, I have this space already. I already am kind of embracing this 
the journey, so to speak. But I think that the fact that this conference sold out, I mean, yes, it is a mega church. That, that That's a big deal. But the fact that it sold out and many traveled from out of state, I think from my vantage point, demonstrates how hungry Christians are for content like this. And usually when people go to places like this, most of them have already tried the you know other way right they maybe yeah. they they found the francis chan video on biblical sexuality or something right and they're like oh this seems like a really kind approach i'll just start doing it this way and they do and then it totally fails and so they go to a place like yeah. this because they're just looking for a better answer that's exactly right. And I think you mentioned that earlier, right, about the, the fruit of the non-affirming theology and the lack of inclusive position in the church, right? That the fruit yeah. has been toxic and terrible and awful. And now we can see that from afar. Um, you know, we're both parents of young kids who, yep. uh, you know, we, we are unaware of their current sexual orientation, gender identity stuff in the future. Um, right. But I can only imagine as a parent, as my kids get older, if that was the only script that I had, which was the very negative, the Francis Chan, the Preston Sprinkle, right? The Christopher Yuan, like the, th this is bad and you need the gospel in order to save your life and get you away from this LGBTQ plus identity and relationships. And right. I saw firsthand the damage that did to my child, I would absolutely be looking for something different. Um, and again, I think my worry was this would be uh, typical evangelicalism as embodied by Alan and Sean earlier, which was just a kind of a nicer veneer, but still the same toxic theology under that. And I would say um, unequivocally, my experience two days at the conference, it was not that. It was no, um, helpful and affirming and equipping and um, and awesome. And I think it's, it's, it's important to say too, you know, embracing the journey is essentially the way that they described it, right? Uh, Parent Connect is something that was happening at North Point. Embracing the journey is essentially taking Parent Connect groups and taking them all over the country and doing them online and doing other things. And so there's a lot of deep connection between that. And um, Parent Connect is led by a pastor on staff at North Point who is very publicly affirming. Um, and so I think like this is a really important thing that's happening. Um, and again, like we talked, I, I shared a post this morning where Andy said some things in his sermon on Sunday. Sunday as he explained the conference, and maybe we'll get to more in a second, but that I vehemently disagree with and that I think is yeah. ultimately unhelpful. Right. Um, but I think we also look at the practical fruit of this is essentially an LGBTQ plus affirming ministry that has been inside of North Point for the last decade and is now expanding outside of North Point to churches all over the country, including hosting this conference that had over 500 people at it from all over the country. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, my partner Sarah was was was, uh, was with me, and you know, one thing she said, she was like, "I'm just so angry. I'm angry that like parents need conferences like this, and I'm yeah. angry that so many of them have been taught essentially. I'm I'm paraphrasing her words that they have to choose between their kid or God, yeah. and yeah. how many of them choose God over their kid. Yeah. Like she was just totally. so angry about that. And I gotta say, as a parent. Uh, it's an unfathomable thought. Like I had tweeted the other Absolutely. day, you know, if your church makes you choose between your kid or your church or, or, or God, find a new church, like immediately. There's, there, that, 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 should be, that should be completely assimilated, those two things. Um, and Absolutely. it is, I think it just shows the power of this theology and it shows the power of God, right? The, the, the thought of God, the belief in God is a powerful thought that can breathe a lot of life and it can breathe a lot of death. And I think yeah. when you see such a, a weaponized theology, especially when it's weaponized towards a specific people group that is in our cultural moment, you know, under scrutiny for 
um, unfair reasons, right? A marginalized group, we can say. Um, you yeah. see how it those thoughts take over the minds and get so embedded that parents will um, reject their normal, natural instinct to love their kids because yeah. their God, or their more importantly, their teacher who taught them about God in the Bible yeah. tells them otherwise. And that's why these kinds of conferences are so important because you have to undo that to promote the flourishing of humans, you know, if not, you're yes. in a lot of trouble. Well, and, and, and it's unfathomable as it might be to us or to a lot of people that are connected to us online or in the ministries that we, you know, support and stuff like that. This is uh, a massive issue, right? I mean, yeah. it, Andy Stanley's got 38,000 people a weekend at his church. Sean McDowell's got 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Like th these are, these are massive millions and millions of people in our country who they have been told the only choice when their kid comes out is to shame them, beat them up with the Bible, maybe even kick them out of their home, like yeah. all in the name of quote unquote love. And as, so as sad as it is, it's like that this has to exist. And Sarah, who's awesome, by the way, is exactly right when she said that, you know, yeah. um, you know, like it's sad that this has to exist, but our our good friend Sally Gary, who was there at the conference as well, wrote a great article yesterday. Um, and Sally's a, a lesbian woman who um, is married to Karen Keene and does incredible work with her organization called Centerpiece. Has been doing pro LGBT plus plus work for two decades or more. Legend. She wrote this great article and said, "Yeah, she's a legend, right?" She wrote this article and said, "My parents needed this conference. Right. Thirty years ago, when I yeah. came out to them, they had nothing. They had nothing, so they kept it. and And they talked about this a lot at the conference that a lot of times when kids come out of the closet to their parents in these high restrictive evangelical religious environments, the parents end up going into the closet." and hiding it from all of the people that they know because they feel like so much shame from it too. And this conference was essentially saying, how do we all come out of this closet together, love each other well, affirm each other, support each other. And I saw, you know, 500 pa parents getting equipped at this conference firsthand. And it was a truly beautiful thing. Well, and that that's what gave me, you know, me and Sarah were talking about it. And I said, you know, hey, if it helps, I really agree with you. <laughs> so I agree with you, Sarah. Like I was angry, too. Right. I'm like, this is so frustrating that we even have to have this yet to make the change that we want to see. This stuff is necessary. I, I'm i not where I was a year ago, too. When I first started TNE, I was still, I was close to affirming, but I wasn't fully there yet, right? I was still navigating, no. like, I, I told someone who, someone actually called me out online about it, and we, we had a Zoom conversation, and I said, I, I am there in feeling, in heart, in emotion, yeah. but I still have this voice in the back of my head saying, well, the Bible. Well, the Bible, right. and I'm trying to re like negotiate that voice, but I'm 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 on the path. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. And that person held space for me, right? Yeah. And so we need people, and I'm not telling everyone that that that, that they have to see it our way or, or be as supportive maybe as we're being. But if you want the change that you, if you want change done, and we all do, that's why I started TNE. That's why you pastor. This is one of those ways that, while frustrating, is incredibly important to move the needle towards a, uh, a in a direction that we all want to see happen. So I'm with you 100 percent on that, Zach. I think that that's a really good point. All right, um, let's get to the next one. This is fun, Zach. This is a good, a good time. This is this is the good. This is the good that Alan said he saw at the conference. Okay, that's super helpful. Now, in some ways we've covered this, but are there any other just positives you want to emphasize before we get to our concern and critique? Love that, Scott. Um, yeah, I mean, Love there's that. a lot of positives. I think the importance, uh, they, they stressed over and over uh, the emphasis on how we need to 
lean into our relationships with with friends and family who identifies LGBTQ. Um, I think that's super important as well. Um, uh, uh, Al Al Causey is his name. Uh, he was one of the speakers as well, and he said, "Ultimately, look, he goes, what we care about is that is that kids come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior." And I'm like, "Amen." And I love the fact that he stressed yeah. that. Repeatedly, I'm like, that's right. I think that is ultimately the big picture. Yeah, we do want to address the sexuality issues, but ultimately what we care about is that they come to know Jesus. Um, they repeatedly talked about these, um, the importance that we recognize the intrinsic value and dignity of all human beings, including people who identify as LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And there again, I was like, absolutely, that's super important. Um, they had a lot of practical principles of how to minister to youth uh, at your church, for example, who might identify as LGBTQ. And they gave a bunch of do's, a bunch of don'ts. And, and actually all those do's and don'ts that they, a lot of the do's and don'ts, I should say, are things that I teach about in my presentations. Great. Um, so, I mean, I, I can go on and on, but there was actually a sure. lot that I thought was true and accurate and helpful and that I, and that I learned as well, you know. All right, there you go. There's some of the good, uh, some some good do's and don'ts. Uh, we have to affirm the dignity of our, you know, queer kids and queer people who are, you know, in society and in the church, etc. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I think I I I have trouble with this, right? Because I think that they're using some words like compassion and grace and love in ways that I think are completely devoid of the actual meaning and practice of those words. Yeah. And it, that's what I really struggle with, right? This, this, this compassionate, gracious, loving veneer over this really toxic, harmful theology and practice essentially. Yeah. Right. And um, the, the truth is right. Like I, I talked about this earlier, but I brought some stats from the Trevor project, 1.8 million LGBTQ plus youth series seriously consider suicide each year, at least one attempts it every 45 seconds. Trans youth are two and a half times more likely to attempt it than their cis LGBT, LGBTQ peers. But having at least one accepting, affirming adult reduces the rates of potential suicide by 40 percent, 40 percent. And this is not what Alan and Sean are advocating for. They are advocating for a version of love that is still ultimately condemning of personhood, of relationship. And it's harmful. Like you said earlier, like we have enough statistical information now to know just how toxic this theology is and how deeply it hurts people. And so I, I... as as nice as Alan was in person at the conference, sure, as super nice. Kind as you said, Sean was right. I still think there is culpability that they have for continuing to perpetuate this really harmful theology that is literally killing people. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that, and I think that that's kind of maybe. Uh, I'm trying to be. I don't want to be sensational in how I say this, but I. In a way, I almost appreciate the people who will just say, yep, they're terrible, they're sinners, they're abominations. Nope, no, no tolerance. Because at least I know exactly where they stand on this, right? Yes, absolutely. I feel like when people use words like love, grace, dignity, until they unpack those things, you think, oh, right, yeah, love and grace, that that, and dignity, that that would assume like, 
acceptance. At least in my yeah. mind. I mean, I, I, if Absolutely. I told my if I told my partner, hey, I love you and I I, I love you so much and I want to treat you with dignity, and I was like, hey, I don't affirm this part of you, I don't affirm that part of you, I think that part's really sinful, I think you have to change that. They wouldn't like see those words and my actions congruent, yeah. right? They would just be like, wait, I'm sorry, I thought you said you loved you loved me and accept you know you uh, whatever you know uh, saw me with, with dignity. And so yeah. I think that's what's so frustrating. And a lot of these people that this, you know, it's amazing, Zach, how much history does go into this. And your point in the beginning of this conversation is so important that when you understand the fundamentalist evangelical merge, right, you have the the rigidity, uh, rigidity, if that's even a yeah. word, of that fundamentalism, right? The inerrancy, the uh, almost like the objective truth of everything that we believe to be true about the Bible is just objectively real with this veneer of like modern, hip, cool, you know, hey, we'll use common language. Hey, we want to engage the culture, but it's not willing to re-examine some of the theological undertones that for, for its history have caused massive harm to different people groups depending on what on where the culture was right whether it's yeah. it's fighting uh, integration or it's fighting queer rights or it's fighting uh women in leadership etc right so i think that's important to realize here and and i agree like the veneer of nicety underneath of it is a, a really harsh bite if you're someone in the queer community frankly 100%. and and i think you can you know shove fundamentalism into skinny jeans and you can put smoke machines all around it to try to obscure what it actually is, but eventually the truth will come out. Right. And I'm so glad what you said earlier, I think is really important. You know, so, so our church at restore in, in Austin, Texas, um, is, uh, you know, growing. We're actually about to go to two services in January. Um, we do a survey every May of kind of the, the people in our church. And so we just did one not that long ago. Um, and so 21% of our church uh, is LGBTQ plus, right? 21%. So one out of every, a little over one out of every five people. Um, I've had conversations with the vast majority of them, close relationships with most of them. I would say 100% of them have church hurt and church trauma. 100%. None of them are exempt from it. But here's the incredible thing related to what you said earlier. Almost none of them have trauma from like intensely overt anti-gay fundamentalist churches because they don't go there. Right. right. The, the church that says we hate gay people or what, like they, they're never going to go there unless they grew up there as a child. They don't have any negative experiences directly with churches like that. All of their church trauma comes from these. Everyone is welcome. No perfect people allowed. Yes. Um, we're a family kind of evangelical churches where they come in. They believe those things to be true. As you said, like you say to Sarah, you just believe that to be true. They right. accept that as truth. They start jumping in. They start serving. They start giving, they start, you know, bringing their kids to Sunday school. And then all of a sudden, and it's different at every church, but they run into some ceiling that's invisible that they were not told is there. Maybe they try to join the church and they're told they can't. Maybe they try to dedicate their kids and they can't, or they try to lead a Bible study or they try to serve in uh, nursery or whatever it is. Right. And they're told, oh, actually, I'm sorry. I know we've been taking your tithe money for two years. I know you've been greeting for three years, but you can't actually cross this. And that's where the deep pain and trauma comes from. So I wish there would be more clarity from people to say, this is what we believe. And this is what we believe LGBTQ plus people can and can't do, because I think that clarity is kindness. I agree. In fact, Billy here, she's awesome. Um, I've had her on the Billy, podcast what's several that? times. Yeah, she's great. Uh, her and her brother came on to talk about uh, Discuss Theology. It's a great podcast, folks. I recommend checking it out. She says, niceness 
excuse me, without affirmation only hurts trans kids in the long run because it tricks them into a trust that is ultimately betrayed. Yeah, Billy, just like what Zach said, absolutely on the money. And I can't tell you how many stories I've also heard of like, oh, all are welcome here. That means me. Psych, it doesn't really mean you. Right. Here's the limit. And I think it's very frustrating. Um, it's just frustrating. It's just a very frustrating yep. thing to encounter over and over again. And I just wish that people were more transparent about where they land so people do not get hurt attending these places. Okay. Exactly um, right. The next uh, clip I have here is I labeled it the third approach. This is kind of like what Alan maybe and Sean, I believe, are advocating for. Let's see what they have to say. Mm -hmm. But tell me what you think is a biblical approach that's a third oh, way drink, that wasn't drink. even considered <laughs> at the conference. Yeah, I think uh, a more biblical approach would incorporate <laughs> actually a lot of the elements that they mentioned in their sort of new script. Hmm. Like, yeah, if your son or daughter says to you, mom, dad, I'm 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 gay or I'm, I'm lesbian or whatever. Yeah, I think the response would be, wow, well, yes, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for being vulnerable, right? We invite them to share their story, lean into your relationship with them, absolutely reassure them that you love them. Like, so I'm not opposed to any of that stuff, um, but then we don't, we don't just stop there and say, okay, now let's just walk with Jesus, because I think that some of the, the, the details of what that looks like is what they're not sharing. And I think to to love Jesus would mean also to obey his commands. It's not just Amen. about walking with him, but it's to obey his commands. And eventually I'd want um, uh, parents or people who are ministering to LGBT kids to eventually help these kids see that following Jesus is not enslaving, but it's very freeing. And and yes, we're called to die to Christ. I'm sorry, uh, die, die to self and to live for Christ. Uh, okay, of, of course. But when we experience desires that if we satisfied we're sinful, then of course we need to mortify those desires and turn to God and turn to family and to church for 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 prayer, for support, for accountability. Um, and and by the way, Sean, that's not something that's just for you know people who experience uh, same-sex attraction or transgender ideation. Any believer who experiences a desire, which if satisfied were sin. We're supposed to also turn from those desires, mortify those desires, obey That's the right. commands of Christ and lean into the church for prayer, support, accountability, love and, and, and family, family support. So um, that's just part of the Christian life. And, and that element of it, of wrestling with desires, which if satisfied with sin, that, that has to be incorporated. Otherwise, how are you really ministering to youth? Because they're going to struggle with temptations that would be sinful if they satisfied them. Go ahead, Zach. I'll, so, I'll, let you, I'll let you kick us off, buddy. All right. All right. I'm fired up. I mean, I, this is a conversation I wish I could have with Alan, right? Because yeah. when he says, you know, we're not just walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus means loving Jesus. I would say, absolutely. hundred percent, man. You're right. And he would say, you know, and loving Jesus means obeying Jesus. Exactly. Let's do that. And obeying Jesus means picking up your cross and following Jesus. Absolutely. 100%. I am in for that. And right. picking up your cross and following Jesus and obeying Jesus means that if you're LGBTQ plus, you got to be celibate. 
uh, what? Like, where did you get that from? <laughs> How is that the trajectory of what? Like, mm. Jesus literally never talks about this. And the one time that he talks about marriage, he gets a divorce question in Matthew 19. And he, in the most beautiful Jesus way possible, turns it back to eunuchs, sexual minorities who have become sexual minorities for a variety of ways and essentially makes accommodations for them. It is unbelievable that they would say, loving Jesus means obeying Jesus and obeying Jesus means that you have to be celibate and understand sexual ethics exactly the way that I do, which I'm going to put the label biblical on and baptize it so that it sounds like this is exactly what Jesus says. When in reality, it is not at all what Jesus says. It just kills me. I love Ranty Zach. You know, we should do more of these. I should just tee you up with like, here you go, get triggered by this. Now rant about it. Because I think that is wonderfully said. And I think put better than how I, ever, I could ever say it. I a thousand percent agree. I took a few notes. You know, uh, he mentioned in the context of, hey, if you deny yourself, following Jesus is not enslaving. And it's funny right. because, and listen, again, I'm going to be kind. I, I met Alan, we shook hands, we talked about all kinds of things. He was very nice. So this isn't like me trying to call out Alan at all. But the I have noticed in my evangelical tradition that I grew up in, I thought for a long time, I don't know, guys, like for someone who claims a lot of freedom, there sure are a lot of rules. And, and rules yeah. that, that also don't make a lot of sense. I'm not talking about like, yeah. hey, you know, certain things lead to your bodily harm, so don't do them. I'm talking about things that I'm like, uh, if, if I say that word, like I, or, or whatever, right. I, I have a desire to do whatever, like it's automatically bad. And that's freedom by de by denying myself all these things that are natural. It was just, it was just a very like inverted way of seeing freedom, I think, you know? And I totally. think the other thing that 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 people like Sean and Alan maybe see but fail to address is that, because often what they'll say is like, well, listen, th this applies to heterosexuals as well. The difference is that heterosexual people have an outlet in, in this ethic, yeah. right? They can get married exactly. and have all the sex that they want. But queer people do not have that or, you know, um, or, or um, well, you don't struggle or you don't have uh, a, a gender incongruency, you know, between your, your biological sex and your gender. So you're fine. It's not, it's not even a thought. But if you do, yeah. sorry, you have to ignore it. You have to totally ignore yeah. it and just die to self. Like heterosexual people don't have that problem. And heterosexual people are able to have sex in some kind of capacity that, exactly that right. they would ordain as biblical and God honoring. But queer people yeah. have none of that. So essentially what you have to do is that you have to go back to when you were like 15 in impurity culture and war against right. your flesh every day. And the second you give into, into temptation, air quotes, right? You have to yeah. repent in sackcloth and ash and feel like a piece of garbage because you broke yeah. another rule and for some reason, this freedom in Christ never came to you. That's yeah. that's the lived experience for many people. And essentially yeah. what you're saying is, and if you're queer, there is no hope. There's right. no, yeah. forget your romantic interests, forget any biological desire. It has to be crucified. One last thing yeah. I'll say about this, and maybe this is not fair, but I'm going to say it anyway. What is frustrating to me about this argument is that many of these people are the same folks who will read the story about Jesus saying how it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom, you know, than a camel through the eye of a needle, or when he tells the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions, and none of them take that as a a prescriptive, you know, command yeah. for all Christians to do in order to, in order to enter the kingdom, and they have yeah. their reasons why. I'm not saying they're, I'm not even saying that they're bad reasons, but they can explain why. Well, it was a local context thing, and he was examining the heart of that person. So, what's really holding on to you? But those are all just excuses to not 
be held to the same standard that Jesus held that person to, right? But suddenly when oh, yeah. it comes to LGBTQ issues, and to your point, Zach, the one text that they use that Jesus talks about anything remotely close to this, which is to say still universes away, he's answering a yes. question about divorce in a heterosexual context and then, and then appeals right. to eunuchs, right? That is like, and they use that as like, well, there's the clear teaching from Jesus on on, so on your sexual ethic. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what? I, I am yeah. not following the logic. No, because it's not logical. And I think you're exactly right to point out the the hypocritical nature of that, right? To say, I mean, as a megachurch pastor earlier this week that tweeted um, about the rich young ruler and said that about, you know, the, the, the wealth of the rich young ruler in today's world is sexuality, right? Mm. And it was like, no, the the wealth of the rich young ruler in today's world is wealth. Is wealth. It's, the same. <laughs> it's capitalism. There's, there's, this, there's this constant redefining of words in evangelicalism. Totally. If you grew up in this, yes. you know what it is, right? Words like freedom that you just pointed out, words like love that we said earlier, right? That love actually means condemnation, even though it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Words like right. justice, right? Like you see a picture of, of genocide in scripture and, and uh, seemingly God is blamed for this genocide and you're like, hey, it doesn't seem like a God who is love, who disarmed Peter would also be committing genocide. That seems difficult for me. And it's like, well, listen, God's ways are above our ways. His justice right. is different from our justice. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. Justice is just justice. Love right. is love. Freedom is freedom. We can't just redefine words whenever we want to, to fit our ideologies. And I feel like really that's what Alan and Sean are doing throughout this entire interview. Now, Zach, Someone listening to this who wouldn't like us would say, oh, but but you're kind of calling the yeah, it's like the pot calling the kettle black where you're saying that that they're redefining these terms. Do you think what would you say to someone who's like, well, Zach, I mean, you're redefining what love is, you know, because X, Y and Z. And I, I think sure. this is a good a good conversation piece, you know, because Absolutely. I, I and maybe we just we, we, we would disagree here, but I don't think that these terms are nearly as objective as people think, especially considering that there are four different ways to say love, you know, in the Greek sure. and there's one way in English. Like there's so many, there's so many of those barriers. So for you, what would you say to someone who's like, well, Zach, you're redefining what love is just as much as they are. Great point. And yeah, four different words for Greek in love, um, but none of them mean condemnation. <laughs> none of them mean <laughs> kicking your kid out of the house, right? None That's of them mean point. slapping somebody with a Bible. You know, like <laughs> we, yeah, but- we can say there's nuance inside of this without saying this word means the opposite of what it actually means. <laughs> well, um, and you also have to jettison like the fruits of the spirit, right? Like love, if, if a if a queer person, let's say that, let's say we have a follower of Jesus who is queer and they're like, Hey, I am all in on this Jesus thing. I'm married to my partner. We live a great relationship and we have the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You then have to say, well, ignore that part. And let's get back to like this other part. And that part takes, you know, precedence over that part. And you have to redefine love because you're making love up in your own image. And that's not God's verse. Like you have to do all these gymnastics to get to another verse that they're telling you, no, 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 that one takes precedent over the fruits of the spirit. Like your the fruit in your life cannot be that. It has to be something else because it doesn't fit in with the worldview we have that being queer is inherently bad. Yeah, totally. And, that, and I, I think the fruit yeah. of the spirit are an excellent filter and barometer for what it looks like to follow Jesus. We, we say in our church all the time, right? That like, like um, you know, Jesus said, you will know followers of me by their fruit, 
and right. the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if your beliefs or behaviors are embodying more and producing more love, joy, peace, etc., in you and in the world, then that's the work of the spirit of Christ. If they are producing the opposite, then right. that is not the work of the spirit of Christ. And what has been produced by non-affirming and non-inclusive theology and practice in the church is the opposite of the fruit of the spirit. And that should at least cause us all to re-examine these theological and quote unquote biblical underpinnings. I 100% agree. All right, uh, let's get to one of, one of maybe our favorite clips. Was this conference affirming in Alan's mind? Here we go. Now that yeah. said, let's, let's shift to your second concern. <laughs> Unpack that one for us. Yeah, I think uh, the, the second concern I had was that the conference claims to be a sort of theologically neutral space, which they call or they called it a quiet middle. I think they use yeah. both of those that language. Um, so, for example, Greg McDonald, the uh, the, the uh, leader of Embracing the Journey, um, you know, as I said, he said, we have no desire to change your theology. We just have a desire to lean into. We want you to lean into and embrace the journey. Uh, David Gushy said, we're not trying to change anyone's uh, theology. Their website includes stances like, you know, comments about this, like, hey, look, no matter what theological stance you hold, sure. we still invite you to come and listen, reflect, you know, as mm. we approach this topic. So that was what they're claiming. Um, but I wasn't convinced at all that the conference was theologically neutral because virtually every speaker, every leader, every facilitator, every story told, every resource, every website, every book recommendation seems to believe that homosexual sex and satisfying transgender ideation is morally permissible. And now, now maybe there's exceptions. And I know Stanley said in a sermon, he believes marriage is between a man and a woman. That's great. Right. But I didn't come across a single person. Now, granted, I didn't talk to all 500 people. Sure. But I did talk to volunteers and staff and leaders and speakers and, you know, and I didn't find a single person who held the view that homosexual sex was sin, you know. So there you go. Go ahead. You start on this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's right. It's great. It was awesome. <laughs> I think one thing that's interesting is that. Um, okay. So, and I'm, I'm trying to get in the heads of these organizers. You know, I, I don't know exactly no. what they were thinking, but what I would definitely say is if you, if you were a parent who was like, no, the Bible is clear on this and they weren't affirming what they wouldn't have done is been like, no, you're completely wrong. and need to submit to the biblical understanding that we hold to, because you're just not standing on biblical truth. Right. Like, so like, like the difference I think between this event that maybe it's speakers or or the tone was much more affirming than like uh, whatever event they would do would be that they would make room for people who would not see it the same way and say, hey, you're welcome yeah. here. We understand. We get it. We're not trying to convince you of anything. It's not a matter of like, you know, uh, of uh, of heaven or hell, so to speak. Meanwhile, folks like in this camp would definitely say, no, no, if you come to this event and you're affirming, we want to convince you and and, and right. persuade you to give that up because you are in, in error. You are in serious error. Uh, of yeah. maybe not being a true Christian, which we'll hear about more right. later on, or or really da damaging your kids, etc. So I think that's kind of like the difference in like the tone. But yeah, I mean, make no mistake. To be clear, I went to a session every breakout. I went to every main yeah. thing, and if I didn't know anything going on, I would come away with, oh, 
this is great. They are teaching their parents how to affirm and love their LGBTQ plus children. This is freaking Absolutely. wonderful. More of this, please. That would be great. That would be yep. wonderful. So yeah, that's how I see it. No, hundred percent agree. I think I think this is my favorite part yeah, of, the, <laughs> yeah. of the interview with Alan and Sean. Um, he's exactly right. Uh, the um, books that were sold, the speakers that were there, um, were uh, theologically and practically affirming um, yeah. in the best way. And uh, and I think yeah, if I had to describe what the conference was, um, that may be different from a typical like you know, super uh, upfront affirming conference would be that this conference was attempting, I think it was led by people um, and and spoken at by people who are unapologetically affirming. That's what it felt like being at the conference, every moment, every speaker, every breakout, every book, everything. But they were very purposefully trying to create space for non-affirming but open parents who want to figure this thing out. Right? I agree. And I think that they are and 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 there are other conferences that do that. They refu- uh, reference the Reformation Project. They're trying to help move people along that line too. Matthew Vines does incredible work. So I, I'm not saying that they're the only people doing this, but there was a beauty in creating this safety of space. And that's one of the big reasons they didn't want people to take like big pictures or have cameras or record things. Um, you can only take how to take pictures with people that gave you their permission. Um was because there were people there who were, you know, could lose jobs or family or, you know, all kinds totally. of risk their even physical health by being there just by yeah. acknowledging that they're open to learning about what it means to affirm their children. Um, and I'm I'm so glad that exists. And I think we need we need more of that. I agree. I think the reason why this is a big deal and why people are really losing their minds is because this is one of the most influential evangelical megachurches maybe even in the world, definitely in the U.S., doing this conference with speakers like David Gushy and Justin Lee, et cetera, uh, and having them speak to people and saying, hey, like here's here's maybe a different way to think about this than what you've been taught in this same environment that that this looks like, right, that that we're in. So I think think for a lot of people, this is one of those like, oh, this is – it's funny. It's funny, Zach, because in – in my spaces, I'm not sure in yours, I'm like, this is this is like an almost a nothing burger. Like like this is like oh, yeah. bare bones, right? This is like elementary. The, the, yeah. The, yeah. The the least you should be doing as a church, the least is something like yeah. this. This is like and you know, point of entry. But to people who are not in this space, they are losing Absolutely. their mind, right? Like, oh holy shit. Like, yeah. I can't believe this just happened. This is huge. And then you have people who are in that like evangelical defender camp who are like, oh, this is a sign. This is a sign of like the liberal drift and evangelicalism. You know, people are just, this is the end of the world. So it's funny, maybe not funny, but it's interesting seeing those two different perspectives see the same conference so differently, right? And just, and like how, and how impactful it's been to those people for different reasons. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, we would describe our church as post-evangelical. Um, you know, we, we still have a band. I do sermons. There's some, you know, kind of like low church commonalities that we would have with other expressions, but very post-evangelical in um, theology and practice and all of that kind of stuff. But what was interesting about this conference is if I was a, a, a baby boomer, lifelong evangelical, I think the one thing I would have walked away with is this idea, because the conference was very evangelical, except so for the LGBTQ stuff. Stuff, right? right. In, in a way that you the and I worship. I'm like, like, I gotta step this out. This is hard for me. Yeah. Give me a minute. <laughs> 
same, man. And so, but what I would have walked away with if I was a boomer lifelong evangelical is, oh my gosh, I can be an evangelical and affirming, right? The, those two yes. identities can yes. coexist. Yes. And I, th- dude, if we could help evangelicals understand that they could be evangelical in kind of expression and that kind of old term before it was really co-opted by the religious right, a, yeah. a, a yeah. classic evangelical, but yep. also affirming, bro, the world would change. The church would change. Everything would change. I think this is a very important point because I think a lot of people, for right or for wrong, have this perception that once you become affirming, all of your other theology has to change. You know, you have to right. give up like things that you might see as very important about the death and resurrection of yeah. Jesus, if there even was a resurrection, totally. right? Something like that. Totally. And I, yeah. I, like you said, for me, I was like, oh, a little cringy at times, but, but that's okay because not everything is supposed to be for me. And for the totally. evangelicals who are, are still very much evangelical and like their language and like their theology, this showed that, hey, you could, and maybe should be, you know, affirming, and you do not have to jettison any other any other biblical or uh, spiritual practices that your evangelical tradition taught you. They are completely together. And so I that's think exactly that's right. very important, right? And it also it reminded me of how big the spectrum is of both the yeah. queer community, right? And also evangelicalism. Like these are big oh. tents and not everyone has to be in the same spot in the tent. Uh, and I think that that's an important point uh, to bring up. Also, uh, I want to apologize to Dave, had to sip my coffee twice. You said biblical twice, Tim. I'm sorry, Dave. I I I, I apologize on behalf of me. Our bad. Uh, Our bad. That. All right, let's get to that. We, we got a few more clips. Friends, are you hanging in there? Thanks so much for being here and watching this. If you like what you're seeing, give it a like or something or subscribe to the channel. We try and do lives as often as we can. I, I love the lives so much more than podcasts. I love having a live audience here and discussing yeah. this stuff. It's just so much more fun. All right, let's get into, now this is where it gets interesting. This is where Alan and Sean maybe are trying to sniff something out uh, regarding the, the the deeper meaning of what this conference really represented. Let's see what they have to say. This is kind of the one of the most important questions that I have for you, and we've taken a while to build to this. But one of the things I appreciate about you and Stand to Reason nice. is that you think a nice lot show. about strategy. And I want to know your thoughts on the strategy behind this conference. So what do you think is a strategy and the effect of a conference of this nature? Well, one of the things I think that came out in the sermon that Andy Stanley gave on Sunday was that he knows that these teachers that were speaking at the conference are gay affirming or they're men who are married to other men. And then he goes on to say, but this is not a Bible conference. It's not a theological conference. It's a conference that's intended to minister uh, to parents. So it's not a problem that you had all this like pro-gay, pro-trans stuff. And this leads me to believe, and I take no pleasure in saying this, but that Andy Stanley is either naive or he's crafty. Hmm. But either way, I think he's dangerous. Right. Because he's naive if he thinks that you can kind of host this conference where virtually all of the teaching is done by people who are uh, pro gay or pro trans and think that that kind of a conference is not going to have some kind of corrosive effect on the church and its theology. And as you mentioned, Sean, he's naive to think that you can ignore doctrine or that theology doesn't matter when it comes to to discipleship and to ministry. It's like, of course it does. So he's either naive about that or he's very crafty because he's using this conference as a way to advance this sort of new theology. And that's why I say, whichever one he is, 
whether he's naive or he's crafty, I think that he's a danger. I think he's dangerous. And and this will lead me to my second point. I think it, if I wanted to quietly mainstream pro-gay theology and transgender ideology into the evangelical church, I would build this conference. Wow. Oh, shoot. I mean, why? Because <laughs> they avoid talking about what the Bible teaches about sex and marriage and identity and same-sex marriage and stuff like that, but they assume pro-gay theology and pro-transgender thinking in all their teaching. And so every every aspect of the conference was operating with this premise that homosexual sex or satisfying transgender ideation is permissible. I, I just think it's it, it's dangerous for that reason. There you go, buddy. So it turns out this was an undercover operation to advance the globalist, Marxist, <laughs> radical, socialist, liberal agenda into churches everywhere. <laughs> okay, he didn't say that. I'm reading into it, but <laughs> go ahead. What are your no, thoughts? I, really quick, I, I want to I read this. Yeah. This is important. Billy, this conference, very evangelical but not explicitly anti-queer, is what the Christian queer community was hoping and looking for a decade ago. So I, that's great to hear, Billy. Um, I'm glad to hear that. It's a step in the right direction um, for sure. All right, uh, Zach, go ahead. For sure. Um, yeah, I appreciate that, Billy. Uh, Billy and I are, are friends on Twitter. Um, she's a great follow. Uh, if you want to drop her a follow, she is she is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I would say um, Alan's right in, in the assessment we've already made about the conference. I think we share that, which is great. Um, you know, that it was uh, uh, the, the conference assumed affirming theology, assumed pro-LGBTQ theology, um, which was really beautiful. Now, listen, I, I think it's important to say, and I said this on, on Twitter earlier and across social media, is that, you know, Andy preached this sermon on um, on Sunday, 49 minutes, um, 48 of them I felt pretty good about because it was essentially laying out what I would call an accommodationist perspective for the church, um, which is essentially that regardless of where you, uh, how you understand the Bible um, theologically around same-sex marriage or same-sex sexual behavior. Um, we are not going to draw lines and exclude people who think differently. We are going to fully include people. Um, he likens it to divorce. People have a lot of different opinions on divorce. I might look at somebody who's getting divorced and say, you know what, if I was in their shoes, I don't think that I would get divorced. But that doesn't mean they should be excluded from full participation in the church. Similarly, I think it would be, you know, I'm, I'm a straight person. I'm looking at an LGBTQ plus person and maybe I'm a conservative and I say, you know what, if I was gay, I think I'd be celibate, but they've chosen to get married and to uh, build a life with someone of the same sex. And just because maybe I wouldn't do that, or I don't understand that theologically or biblically does not mean they should be excluded from any part of the church. So that was essentially what I took away from 48 minutes of the sermon. Now, Andy, I'm not going to, uh, venture a guess as to why he did this. Um, but he dropped in about a minute of classic non-affirming theology, which was, we believe at North Point that the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman, um, which again, I I think that's a ridiculous statement to make. Um, we're going to talk about that, I think, in the, after the next oh, clip. We are. We are talking about that. Yeah, we are talking about um, that for sure. And, and, I, and I think I think all the things I think that's harmful. I think it's unhelpful. Um, I really wish he hadn't done it. Um, I, I don't know exactly why. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it would only be uh, guesswork and I don't want to do that. Um, but I would say that 
because of that, I would still not recommend for like LGBTQ plus people who were at our church who moved to Atlanta, if they were like, hey, I'm looking for a church. Because of that, I would not recommend North Point because I think there is still a part of this that would uh, lead to some non-affirming stuff and I don't think it would be helpful for them. Um, but that being said, the fact that he is moving into an accommodationist uh, lens, the fact that they have over the last 10 years, and he said this in the sermon, removed uh, anti remove discriminatory policies in their church for LGBTQ plus people that can serve and lead at every level. The fact that they have gay married people speaking at their church very publicly at conferences, at church events, all of that kind of stuff moves the needle, I think, in a healthy and helpful way. It's not enough. All the caveats. It's not enough. I'm pissed about it. All the things, right? I think it could have been so much better. And because of that, I would not recommend an LGBTQ plus person to go there. Um, as a church member, but I think that what happened at the conference specifically was affirming and amazing and worth celebrating. And I hope that this continues to move the needle toward inclusion and eventually affirmation. Let's just slip all the way down that slippery slope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I share your sentiments. I, I was in both of those services on Sunday um, to listen and I was like, wow, this is great. This is so good. And then that bomb got dropped about, you know, well, we believe we affirm a New Testament sexual ethic and here's what it means. And we affirm the New Testament standard of, or not, not I don't think he used the word standard, but we affirm, you know, biblical marriage essentially. And then he defined it like that. He also in the second service, which I think is posted now, talked about Paul and that they affirm that, you know, what, what Paul calls sin, we call sin kind of vibe. Now, again, I don't want to read into it. I'm not sure if Andy's like, well, you know, Paul didn't say anything about, you know, what we think about homosexual right. relationships right but regardless if someone says we we what, what paul calls sin we call sin and then says including you know how paul describes same-sex sex acts you're kind of led to believe like wait it's, it's kind of jarring frankly and i think it gave a lot of people whiplash because like you i went at that conference like holy moly this is amazing this is so promising and then i sat in that service and was like wait 48 minutes of all this and then you had like you right. said that so listen, I here's where I am with this, and I have to talk about it on my Instagram at some point because people are asking me, what do you, what do you think about, about, about the sermon, about the whole event? And I've been trying to really just be cognizant that there are things happening behind the scenes that maybe I'm not privy right. to. And also I don't want to, I don't want to breach confidentiality with people, right. And say, well, I know this for a fact, cause it's not my story to tell. Here's what I will say about it in this. Then we'll get to our next, uh, we have two more clips left and then we'll wrap it up here. Um, there are two parts of me. Part a is like, I'm done playing the slow game. Like, um, this needs to happen now. It needs to happen right away. People are literally dying because of really harmful yeah. theology, right? And yep. the church, frankly, has a lot of blood on its hands when it comes to the queer community. And we both yep. know that. So fuck it. We're done. Throw yep. the grenade, pull the pin, toss it. Let's just call it what it is. And then there's the other side of me, Mr. Pragmatic, who's like, I also understand that in the arc of justice, things, mainly justice, tends to take longer than we all want it to take. Right. And ultimately is what is what um, they did in action at that conference and what they do in action with their Parent Connect stuff. That's right. Does that right. speak louder than those you know, five sentences that Andy said on Sunday morning? My answer is yes. I agree with you. That doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, North Point's a safe church for queer people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for my for our goal as an organization to push things forward, 
I'm seeing some sparks here. Yeah, there's a little bit of water, but I'm seeing sparks. I want to keep blowing on them to continue yeah. to fan that flame because it is something. I'm not aware of any churches, any mega church that did anything even close to what Unconditional did. I have to wrestle with that dichotomy of like, wait, I, I don't understand the actions, the words. That's my own tension. That's your tension to wrestle with too if you're listening to this, yep. how you deal with that. You might land in, in, in a different place than I do. You might say, no, this is bullshit. I don't want anything to do with it. That is fine. I'm not saying you have to see it my way. I'm just telling you pragmatically, wherever I can find little seeds of hope, little little sparks floating around, I'm going to blow on them to help push things forward, even if it means yeah. dealing with some stuff that I'm just like, what the hell? Why would you say that? You know. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at, I'm at with this, frankly. No, I think that's well said. And I agree. And I, I, one more quick thing to add to that is, you know, I can speak for my journey and for, you know, hundreds of and, and maybe thousands of journeys that I've been privy to at our church and with people online as they've moved from non-affirming theology toward affirming theology. And I will tell you that there is almost always a stop on that journey at kind of this I'm inclusive and there shouldn't be any restrictions, but I still kind of think the Bible says this and there's some issues, right? That's almost always a stop on people's journey, right? You you said yeah. this earlier. You said when you started TNE, you were there in your heart, all of that stuff, but you still had the tapes. You still had the voices. You still yeah. had the, the Bible is clear stuff, all the stuff that Alan and Sean are saying. You still had that that you had to work through, right? And I think we're watching people at arguably the most influential megachurch in America go through that in real time. And you and I know people, like you said, behind the scenes, they're leaders and things like that. There are people way farther all the way to where we are on that spectrum. And then there are kind of people who are still early on in that journey. But yeah. here's the thing. I think as we're moving down that journey, we can do both things. We can say, it's unacceptable to continue to perpetuate harmful, toxic, anti-LGBTQ theology, and it hurts people and it kills people and all that stuff. We can continue to use our voices and our platforms to say those things over and over and over again, yes. while hoping that people that are moving along the spectrum that are not where we are, because we were not always where we That's are. That's right. Right? Yeah. And we can still hope and pray and you know, help move people down that spectrum as, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Last thing I'll add, and then we'll get to our final clip. Um, there were quite a few people who were pretty influential, um, queer folks uh, at the conference. I'm not going to say names because they don't want to be public. Um, people who have been trying to push the, ch the church forward towards inclusion, who are gay themselves or queer themselves, yeah. all were really encouraged by the conference and said that they were encouraged by what Andy was doing. And they understood why he said what he said on Sunday morning. If they had a different take, that would probably influence how I saw sure. all of this. You know, so I don't want people to think that, oh, here's just two white straight men like telling us how to see this stuff. I really am and was looking to the people who were there, who were in that community and what how they were gonna navigate this stuff. And if they give a stamp of approval, I'm like, great, I'm I'm on board, I will support it all the way. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program, covering troubleshooting maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAPE preparation and testing, along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWHVACTrainingSC.com to inquire. 
And I think yeah, that, you know, that's important to recognize. <laughs> that's really good. I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think, you know, the, the crew that we spent most of the time with the, the two days, um, we were in, in a lot of like, you know, sitting around tables and stuff, the minority as straight people. Um, and <laughs> what was really interesting about that space is that I felt myself getting more angry about like that, that mention in the sermon or other things than the queer people around us were who you said yeah. have been doing this work for decades. Right. Yeah, and I'm like livid and they're saying, Hey, be hopeful. Hey, blow on the sparks, like you said. And so I agree. I think taking cues from our queer brothers and sisters inside of this is important, but also they're not monolithic, right? They're, they're people that totally are very not. angry and yes. I get that. And that is yes. important. And I'm angry and all the things, right? We are complex <laughs> humans. We're complicated we people. We're not binaries. No. All right, let's keep going. Uh, okay. We, we got two more friends. You're almost there. Thank you for hanging in. This is some, this is some of the meaty stuff. So great clip. He, here's the biblical marriage part. Here's them kind of unpacking biblical marriage. Then we'll have Zach and I respond. But mm -hmm. built into the scriptures is the sense that marriage is meant to be permanent and divorce is breaking something that is or once was a marriage. But when it comes to making an accommodation for same-sex unions, I'm not convinced biblically it even is a marriage. This skips the question of what mm -hmm. marriage is. And this is where I agree completely with Preston Sprinkle. It's not about five or six clobber passages. The heart of the question is what is marriage? And that is all through scripture. Right. And there is no biblical precedent for marriage being anything besides one man and one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. Now, some people failed to live that. I get it in the Old Testament. That's a separate conversation. All right, Zach, you made a face. Oh the, you you want to unleash rant, Zach, again? Okay. Yeah, I um, do. You're unleashed. Listen, I, there's a there's a very distinct possibility, in my opinion, that the probably the only marriage at the point of when the marriage began in Scripture that would even be legal today is Adam and Eve. The vast majority of marriages in Scripture are either one man and multiple women or they are one man purchasing a young female bride, probably an early teenager from her dad for a dowry, right? Those are the vast, and there's a bunch of other ones. I think you're going to show a great graphic here in a second that has a bunch of other ones. When you're, I have it ready whenever you're right? ready for it. You want me to show it now? Yeah, no, throw it up, throw it up. Here Let's you go. For, oh, that's not right. That's the wrong one. This one. Here's your biblical marriage in the Bible. I'm going to zoom in so you can see that. We got a few different examples here with verses. You got the man and woman, the nuclear family. You got the man wives and their concubines, man, woman, and woman's property, the male soldier prisoner of war. I mean, these are just a few uh, of the different types of biblical marriage, quote unquote, that you can find in the scripture. And I do want to plug really quick this, this graphic. I did do a whole... Um, response with Dr. Jennifer Bird, an amazing scholar on, on biblical sexuality, so to speak, uh, responding to Preston Sprinkle and Sean McDowell. It's on our YouTube and also on our podcast. You can check it out. But she talks a lot about this and she talks a lot about how, hey, you know, newsflash, but there is no actual solo word for husband or wife. It's always woman right. and man. And then we read in assuming it's husband or wife based on the translation. But the language, a lot of it is a man takes a woman and then enters her 
and that makes them married. Like the sex right. act is what is what binds them or doesn't bind them depending on, on who they are. And that's important. Right. Can, I, can I just give one example of this? Can, can, can we just do yeah. a little Bible reading? Is that is that okay with everyone here? Um, I, I, I want to I want to show you the story of Jacob. I think this is very important because this is the, <laughs> Jacob is the father of the of the nation of Israel. You know, the, the eventually the line. You know, Jesus comes through all of this, and I and this is how the this is how. I guess we can say God, to put it in evangelical language, uses Jacob to then essentially do something, you know, that becomes the nation of Israel. So let's see what I have here. Here you go. This is the story of Jacob and, and, and Leah uh, or Leah and Rachel. And it says here um, a couple of things. Let's just start with verse 15. We're going to go right here. All right. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Je wow. Rude. Jacob Bruce. loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to an, any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. You know what the text doesn't say? The love that she had for him. <laughs> there's there's no conversation with Rachel on this. It's all about two men talking about who's gonna get the daughter when. They agreed and then boom, okay, done. So already we have, I would argue, at a minimum, I wouldn't say it's a romantic-based marriage, maybe even non-consensual. We move on. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilphaf, is that the right, that's the right pronunciation, to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. So, so this is already kind of messed up. Like I'm not sure what kind of biblical marriage we're talking about here, but Jacob was supposed to marry one daughter and now his, fa his father-in-law, slipped in the other daughter again is, is, is what does Leah think about this we don't know the text does not tell us but I don't think it's unreasonable to assume probably not a fan of doing this but here we are um, and in, uh, and Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not d so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. I mean, that, that's a secret to hold on to for seven years. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban... Um, then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. And it gets even crazier. Eventually we get like maid servants get brought into the mix. Like it gets real messed. It gets real. Yeah. I would just say in Sean's language, real unbiblical real quick. Like this marriage of Jacob's now married to two sisters and then yeah. one can't, one can't conceive. So like the servant which is really a slave gets into the mix and Jacob's sleeping with her. There's one good example of biblical marriage and there's nothing in this text that would indicate that any of this was wrong. There's nothing that was That's like, right. and by the no way, everyone, a biblical marriage yeah. is between one man, one woman for life, no ands, or buts, and this is totally wrong and inappropriate, but we're making an exception for the, for, for, for the story. That's not none said that. here, right? No, none of that. Okay. You know, okay. 
David's got David's got eight wives. He he only gets condemned when he rapes Bathsheba and kills Uriah. Solomon's got hundreds of wives and concubines. He only gets condemned with he when he makes a bad deal with a foreign queen as one of his wives, right? Like even Mary and Joseph. Right. Most scholars believe Mary and Joseph, Joseph was probably in his, you know, early even to mid to late 20s. And Mary was probably 13, 14. And he was purchasing her from her father for a dowry, as you saw in the Jacob and Leah and Rachel story. Right. So like this, this statement from Sean, where he says there is no biblical precedent for any marriage to be other than a one man and one woman, except for the entire Bible. (laughs) which is literally filled with different kinds of marriages. I would say the one man, one woman consenting adults marriage is by far the radical minority in scripture. Uh, yes, just to just to add the cherry on top, I got to show you this. Okay, this is this is the story of David you were talking about here. Look, th- this is um, Nathan is speaking on behalf of God to David, rebuking him. Look what he says in the rebuke. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. This, This is, God is telling David, look what I've given you. He's not saying, and look, you were fornicating with multiple wives. No, he's saying, I gave you all this and it still wasn't enough. Now, of course, there is context. Of course, of course, the Bible has a a context behind it. That's our entire point. To take it and say, the clear arc of scripture is one man, one woman for life. Like, what Bible are you reading? So then the argument becomes, oh, well, those are descriptive texts, not prescriptive. But how do you know? Why is Genesis 1 and 2, and only certain parts of that, by the way, right? Most people who, most couples who who choose not to have kids, even though they can, are not rebuked by the church for forsaking the command in Scripture to be fruitful and multiply, right? We make an accommodation for that, no problem. But regardless, you know. They would say, um, or I forgot my train of thought there, but my whole point is just to say, like, it's not consistent. No. In, in a couple chapters into the Bible, the sexual ethic that he, that they advocate for is blown out of the water. Oh, I remember I remember what, what I was going to say. They would say it's prescriptive, not descriptive, uh, or vice versa. And I would say, how do you know? Because these texts don't assign that. We assign that to the text. Right. And listen, friends, right. it's not... You should not be scared of that. I, we, me and Zach admit that, yes, we do interpret the text. Yes, the Christian tradition, Absolutely. and depending on your, do, your denomination or your church tradition, interprets these texts very differently. What makes this stuff, in my opinion, so disingenuous is that people like Sean and Alan and uh, maybe Francis Chan, I don't know, they use language like this is the biblical definition, right. as if this is the theme of the Bible. But in this case, I'm sorry, it's just not. The Bible sexual ethic is all over the place. Now, exactly to your right. point, they yes, the I would agree that there is no talk, at least I'm aware of, of, of two men or two women being married. But that makes sense considering that what we're dealing with now is a very different situation and cultural moment than what they were dealing with back then. And just like how none of us believe, hopefully, that we should just take a woman and enter her to marry her, there has to be consent involved and romance involved and agreement involved. There's no reason why we can't look at what are the elements of of a marriage, especially a Western marriage, and why can't they apply to our queer friends? 
hundred percent. No, I totally agree with you. And I think it's important. I, I just, I would wrap it up like this. It is intellectually unserious to pretend that the Bible is univocal on marriage. Like it, it's, it, it just fails every eye test of just reading the Bible. The, the, the Bible, the Protestant Bible that we're familiar with is, is two Testaments, three languages written over three continents, over a few thousand years, at least 40 authors, 10 genres right. of scripture. I mean, like, genres of literature, the, the, the intellectual unseriousness of a, a PhD trained apologist saying the Bible's univocal on marriage. There's just one way to understand it. Like that, that just, to me, it's, it's a lack of integrity to make statements like that because you know, that's not true just by reading the text. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last, right, last one. This is the big one. Can we disagree on this issue? This is Sean's question. Uh, are, and this is the big question that I put the thumbnail on. Are same-sex unions and same-sex sexual behavior matters that we can agree to a disagree on within the church? Yes or no? Well, no. And the reason is because the Bible doesn't treat those as agree to disagree topics, right? So if the Bible doesn't give us permission to treat them in that way, then we don't have the freedom to treat them that way. And, and the reason why I say the Bible does not treat them as agree to disagree subjects is because, well, I mean, there's three things going on. First of all, the positive case, a negative case, and it's, it's sort of commentary on the severity of sexual sin. So when I say positive case, the, the Bible is univocal on the positive definition of what marriage is, kind of like what you were talking about a minute ago. What is marriage? Well. Even before you look at these passages that are prohibitive of homosexual sex, you have the Bible painting a positive picture about what sex and marriage is supposed to be like. And it's taught in both Old and New Testaments. You have the Genesis account of creation, and then you have Jesus in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, re-quoting the Genesis account of creation and reaffirming it as still relevant and binding. So. The Bible's teaching and Jesus's teaching on sex and marriage alone would disqualify homosexual sex as as an option. That's wait, the positive wait, case. Zach, you're pausing. I, I got to interrupt here. Go ahead. I, while you have the thought, go ahead and get it out. There's just no Jesus teaching on marriage and sex like that. He's making things up. And that's that's really like that's really difficult for me. Jesus gets one question about divorce accommodations. Right. And it's essentially people saying, I'd like to get divorced more than I think the accommodations exist for. Are you cool with that, Jesus? And Jesus is basically like, no, you need to stay married to your wives. And here's why he said that. Right. Because uh, we already pointed this out. Women in this totalitarian patriarchal culture essentially had little to no rights. They were almost property. And so mm -hmm. to divorce a woman was almost a death sentence for them. You were condemning them to either a life of death or a prostitution or going on the streets, right? Like if you just left her because you didn't like her anymore or she had what sad eyes or something right. like she said about weak Leah, eyes like, weak what, eyes well, yeah exactly. like well if you just like didn't think she's pretty enough or whatever right. right you just left her for whatever reason you wanted you cast her aside as an object like jesus does not want women to get hurt like that and so he's saying you made a commitment to take care of this person and you need to take care of this person but then he expands it and talks like i said about eunuchs and how eunuchs came about for different different ways some were made that way by others 
others. Some chose it for themselves, all these different things, right? And he expands it to sexual minorities and essentially says, but there are accommodations for people who are in the sexual minority. And so to say like just uh, this toss reference to Jesus's teaching on marriage and uh, sexuality is such a farce. And it's, again, I just think it's intellectually unserious. Fair. Uh, are and this a lot of sexual prohibited behaviors, but Where was I in one and several other passages as well. There's more. Yeah, that's good enough. But every single one of them, uh, the the Bible speaks univocally on this, and that it's clear that homosexual behavior is a sin. So you got the positive case of what marriage is. You got- By the way, even that homosexual right. behavior. I mean, I, I recommend, friends, if you get a chance to watch 1946, uh, great movie. It really unpacks how that word even entered the biblical text in shocker alert. It wasn't really a great translation at all. Uh, yeah. So even Alan saying homosexual behavior, I mean, even Preston Sprinkle acknowledges that is not the language right. used. And he right. admits, you know, that, hey, yeah, the word there doesn't necessarily imply just that. There could be other things going on. So I just find even that language like, Sure, I guess if you're reading the version from 1946 that you know that that used to be in some translations, like in the German, translated as boy molester, uh, now homosexual. Right. I guess, but man, again, just not a very fair take. The negative yep. case prohibiting that behavior, and then the Bible elsewhere stresses how severe the sin of sexual immorality is. And I, I know you've mentioned Sean in the past that the word in the New Testament porneia uh, is used, and um, uh, sexual sin, whenever it's addressed, it's always addressed in very harsh terms. I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 10, where uh, Paul says, look, don't don't be deceived. Like, don't, don't think that this is okay. You know, people who engage in sinful, ongoing, unrepentant behavior will not inherit the kingdom of God. My question to Alan on this, by the way, would be, okay, so um, all the greedy people in your life, uh, any, do you have any right. big donors, Alan? Are they going to hell as well if they're, if they're greedy? I mean, I, I, any people you know who, who have alcohol addiction, uh, who maybe are fine with it, are they just on the way to hell? Like, I, I just wanna know, like, those other things that Paul lists there, uh, I think pride is one of them, I have to look it back up, but like, there's, a, there's a whole list. And I'm just wondering, right. like, are any of those things as, as cut and dry where, hey, if you're the CEO of Amazon and you get saved, if you don't sell all of your possessions, you're just definitely, hey, sorry, you're not in the kingdom. Doesn't matter what you think or what you, you know, as long as you're still doing this. I'm just curious for Alan how he would respond to those things because I actually, back in the day when I was still not really affirming, but realizing that there was really a target that the church was, was, was painting on the backs of queer people. I did like a little like amateur verse, you know, comparison. There's like, I think maybe a dozen or so verses talking about sexuality or or sex, I should say. There are hundreds of verses talking about how people who oppress poor people, people who exploit the poor, people who do not welcome the foreigner or who do not take care of the widow are like in serious trouble, whether it's punishment for Israel or they're in you know um, serious trouble regarding the afterlife. There are hundreds of those verses that are, yeah. speak emphatically clear. I mean, very clear. And somehow it's like, now nah, that part we can accommodate, you know, well, context, culture, you know, what, what, what's your heart really say? Even if your action doesn't line up with that, it's different. But hey, if you're gay, sorry, dudes, the Bible is just a hundred percent unequivocally clear and there's no way to see that conversation different no other interpretation is acceptable it's just here's what the bible says and if you don't believe it it's your problem not mine that's kind of the take i get from this and this is very frustrating yeah okay i'll keep going well we're we're talking then about the eternal destiny of people we can't just agree to disagree about this 
right? The Bible doesn't give us that freedom. Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 3, 3 through 9, we see the word porneia used again for sexual immorality. Um, and again, mentioned this in very strong terms. Uh, Jesus in Revelation 2, uh, verses uh, 14, then 20 through 23, you see Jesus castigating not only people who are engaged in sexual immorality, but he even castigates the person who misleads people into Jeez. engaging in sexual immorality. That's us, Zach. So okay. in other words, these topics, this this topic that we're discussing is a matter of eternal destiny. This is not something wow. the Bible thinks, oh, well, we just agree to disagree. We can have different opinions and go on. And, I mean, I guess you'd have a different opinion, but you're 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 messing with the eternal destiny of people's souls. And I don't think and that's why I don't think we have the permission to say, well, we just disagree on this and that's okay. I mean, there you go. Right. This is Alan. This is the fundamentalist part. Right. Where it's like, hey, we have to be loving and kind and and give dignity. Also, if you don't repent over this, you're definitely going to hell. I mean, that's pretty much what Alan said. He said people's eternal destinies are at stake. And then he used Bible verses to prove why this is a super serious topic. By the way, in Matthew 25, I love saying this. Jesus literally says that you're in risk of of damnation if you don't take care of the poor and, you know, clothe uh, uh, clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And again, like, does Alan take that as literal as he does these other passages for for gay people, by the way? Right. Like, they, like, like this right. isn't like Alan talking about his own maybe sin stuff. This is him saying, well, no, I'm not queer. But if you are, here's your here's the standard. Right. Here's the standard. Totally. I, I, it, just, yeah. it, it is infuriating. Anyway, go ahead. Now, Matthew 25 is a great point. And Jesus lists out these. I think it's five different things that. Um, he says, when we do them or don't do them, it is us doing them or not doing them, not just to people, but to him himself, right? Yeah. That Jesus is in right those folks. Yeah. So I was hungry. I was thirsty. Um, I was poor. Uh, I was a stranger, an immigrant is what that says. Um, poor. I didn't have clothing. I was sick. I was in prison. Right. So he gives this list. Right. If if Alan and Sean are right, that this was such a an intense pressing issue for Jesus, uh, sexual immorality and specifically um, same sex sexual immorality. Why didn't he include that in this list? Right. Like if I wasn't a stranger and you didn't invite me in or if you engaged in a relationship with somebody of the same sex and he he should have listed it there. Right. If he was so passionate about it. But another thing that they do that is really clever in an insidious way is that they talk about pornea and this idea of like sexual sin and how like that term they say well anybody who heard that term in the first century would have thought of a list of sexual deviancies including same-sex sexual behavior um when that that's just made up like they're they're, Mm. they're completely making that up there is no context that says that there is no ancient documents that say that that's not in the text of scripture at all um the idea that like pornea is actually used a bunch of different times and it's never used in this like as synonymous with same-sex behavior never in any of the texts so there's just a lot of issues but i do think it's important to come back to this one central thing of people who are lgbtq and practicing and those who say that lgbtq plus people can be practicing none of those people are christians right right 
we were kicked out of our denomination as a church um, really early on when we planted and I was put under investigation. I ended up being defrocked to have my ministry license revoked and all this stuff over this issue. And I remember being in a, a hearing about it. And it was a guy who I'd done life with for a decade, pastor, friend, buddies. We'd preach to each other's churches. I mean, like really, really close. And he says, you know, I, I say, are you saying that you don't think LGBTQ plus people who are in queer relationships can be Christians? And he said, I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that people who support them can't be Christians either. Wow. And I said, are you saying that I'm not a Christian? And he said, yeah, I don't think that you are. And it was this moment for me, right? And then that's Jeez. tied to eternal conscious torment in hell, right? He kept saying eternal destiny, right? This right. idea that right. eternal conscious torment in hell is the ultimate trump card. It is the ultimate totally. way to control people, right? Because if you're saying, hey, listen, celibacy sucks, but would you rather burn in hell forever or right. be celibate for your adult life, right? right? It's the ultimate way to control people. And they're using it here, same fundamentalist script. And it, it sucks, frankly, like it's but frustrating. I think my final thought on this, uh, and I, just so you know, friends, I'll play this really quick at the end. When you earn your degree online at Arizona State University, you get everything the nation's most innovative university has to offer. The same international recognized faculty, the same nationally ranked programs, the same degree. Learn more at asuonline.asu.edu. On said this. Whether people who hold this view are saved or not, that's a theological question I don't want to get into right now. Okay, so that was after Alan said that. So it's like, okay, well, Alan made it pretty clear. You tended to agree, yeah. but you don't want to get into it. So fine. And listen, I've interviewed Sean on the podcast. I asked him about different views of hell. He made accommodations for the different perspectives on hell. Uh, no problem. At the end, I did ask him the same question. I said, are people who see this thing about marriage differently? Are they Christian? He goes, I'm not really sure. Something to the effect of like, I don't want to get into it. I'm like, wow, for you, even debating how hell could be seen differently is, is fine now. But if you yeah. would affirm someone else, else's loving long-term relationship yeah. that puts you and that person in jeopardy of hell and this is maybe my final thought on this i want to know the harm i want to know how people who are in loving committed relationships who are queer are being hurt it's the opposite when right. you inhale the theology of the shans of the world it does serious damage to you as a person. And it's frustrating because we have, we have a lot of data, like you cited some of it already during this interview, I've cited it in previous videos, that, that, that the theology and the ideology underneath of it does so much mental and physical damage to queer people. And their response is, sorry, our interpretation of the Bible is clear and cannot change despite the harm that it causes. And what they do is they will find a handful of people who have converted out of that lifestyle and they'll use them as their token ex-gay people to right. then prove that, 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 that their version of what they would call the gospel works. Even though yeah. for every one of those people, uh, there are thousands who tried that and tried to pray, pray it away and it didn't work. And also yeah. every couple people that do that eventually go back anyway like there's tons of stories of people who converted you know were ex-gay and they're like no i was just kind of hiding it you know right. and i think yeah. that is what is very frustrating for me is that we see the fruit we see the impact we see the actual humans who are impacted by this theology and a church that neither sean and alan go to who is not making the case 
that, hey, right. if you don't see it our way, you're not Christian. They're willing to include you, right? They're simply saying, hey, for families who tried to pray it away, for families who threw the Bible verses at their kids, the families who said, I'm drawing a line in the sand, you know, either you repent or we can't be in fellowship together. They tried that and they almost lost everything, right? North Point is saying, hey, this is a different way forward. Maybe loving yeah. and affirming your kids promotes human yeah. flourishing. And for yeah. Sean and Alan and the whole, what I call the gatekeeper world of evangelicalism, it's not just that that they can't have that view. No one can have that view and be considered a Christian. And that is just incredibly disingenuous. And I think very unfair. And frankly, they have no authority to make such a statement. They're not in charge no. of my quote unquote eternal destiny. They are not God. And whether they like it or not, there are great ways to view some of these passages and theologies around sexuality Absolutely. that lead to an affirming position that make a lot of sense that I think deserve a fair shake and at least at a minimum for Sean and Allen need to be made room for. I'm not even yeah. asking Sean and Allen to change their theological perspective, yeah. but if you can totally. acknowledge that that, 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 that there is room here, that the Christian tradition is big. I'm sorry. I, I don't, I just don't, don't know what, what to tell you. Absolutely. And I think your point about the theological and biblical work is there. It's easy to access. Um, and it's, it's, it's legit. My, my point, I think, to a lot of people is this, the same theological trajectory, the same exegetical hermeneutical methods that have been used to turn around on slavery, right? Uh, totally. You know, over half of the written defenses for chattel slavery in America and South were written by pastors, citing the Bible saying that we need to keep slavery because Paul says slave obey your masters and all these 100%. things, right? It's the, the same trajectory that is setting women free from subjugation, both in culture and in churches, right? It's the same hermeneutic, the same exegetical work that leads to freedom and flourishing and full inclusion and affirmation for LGBTQ plus people. And to pretend that this is something foreign to scripture when we've actually been using the same methodology to repent from horrible things that we've done to 100%. women and racial minorities. And um, the, uh, Dr. Gushy made the point at uh, at the conference that we did this, uh, Christians have done this historically in anti-Semitism as well, right? Yeah. And we've worked through a lot of that, still have a ton of work to do in all three of those totally. areas. Yes, But the, it's the same hermeneutical approach that leads to this LGBTQ freedom and flourishing. And um, we need to lean into that because it, this is not a matter of uh, at the end of the day, for me, it's not only a matter of Bible and theology and having conversations with people about, you know, what what really does the Bible say about this? Like at the end of the day, this is life and death for queer people. Um, th this is totally. I, I have a, a close friend that I spent time with earlier this week um, who has a family member who grew up. They all grew up in a very high restrictive fundamentalist religious environment. And they had a family member who died by suicide, who left a note and said that it was because they were gay. Um, and it, th this this is so at home for so many of us. And that was one of the most impactful things about the conference is these parents weeping about how they messed up with their kids when they just dropped non-affirming theology in the old scripts. And there has to be a new and better way. Lives are at stake and we need to be we just need to be unequivocal about supporting our LGBTQ plus siblings. Yeah, well said. One of the examples I cite often, and I cited that in the video with Andy that I did yesterday, talking about my, my thoughts just in general of, of like the response. So I say, you know, Bob Jones, the segregationist, 
called people who did not view the Bible like he did, uh, meaning in, in favor of, of segregation, the Bible mandates in his mind. And he had verses, by the way, to, to argue sure. why the races need to stay separate. He called people who did not see it his way liberals who had a low view of Scripture. Does that sound familiar? Like that's the oh, thing yeah. is, is when you start reading even a little bit about uh, American evangelical history, you see the, the same language. You just insert yeah. different people groups. Totally. And it's the same, yeah. it's the same framework, right? And yeah. so that's why I tell people like Sean and Alan now would never hold to Bob Jones view. They would never think that right. Bob Jones is, is, is a good, you know, Bible teacher, but Bob was calling people like me and Alan and you liberals had a low view of scripture, but now because yeah. we view sexuality different based on a lot of things, including how we read the Bible. Now we're the new liberals have a low view of scripture, even though I have totally. found that people who come to a different conclusion have done the most work. They're the ones yeah. who are usually digging the deepest, asking the most questions, going as totally. wide as they can to understand the nuance, the culture, the language, etc. So it's just yeah. as frustrating because like, it's so frustrating. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I think, you know, I'm, listen, I, I am, I, I believe in the apostles and Nicene creeds. Yeah. I believe in literal resurrection. I believe yes. in literal incarnation, the full divinity and humanity yes. of Christ. Like I, I am by all intents and purposes, a theological conservative. Right. And the first person I heard say this was Rachel Held Evans. She said, when she got accused of liberally reading the Bible, she says, no, no, you know what? You're liberally reading the Bible because you're looking at it and say, well, it says homosexuality in my 21st century modern, terrible translation. And so that must mean that the Bible always condemned same sex attracted people or LGBTQ plus people or whatever. And she's like, no, 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 no. Actually, that's a liberal way of reading the Bible because you're like, <laughs> let me grab a verse and have it yeah. support whatever ideology I want it to support without applying any kind of consistent hermeneutical lens. And like we've said, the consistent lens if you're applying it, the way that they are talking about LGBTQ plus people and scripture is the same way. It's the same lens that was used to subjugate women, the same lens that was used to support slavery. It's the same one. And at least we need to be honest about that. I agree. Zach, this was awesome. Thank you for making time and being here. Where can folks find you? If they want more of, of some Zach rants, where can they find them? Absolutely. Zach W. Lambert, Z-A-C-H-W Lambert on Twitter um, or X, excuse me. Sorry, Elon. And um, <laughs> Instagram, uh, Facebook, our church is RestoreAustin.org. We stream all of our uh, Sunday services on YouTube. Uh, we have a podcast of all the sermons. We're going through a really fun year right now called A Year of Bible Stories for Grownups, where we're going back through all of these stories that we've been told. Um, I'm actually doing not this Sunday, but next Sunday, Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to be talking about a lot of the things we talked about today. Mm. So if you want to check that out, um, I'm also a part of something called the Post Evangelical Collective, postevangelicalcollective.org, which is a collective of about 50 plus churches. Um, it's only about six months old that are, uh, you know, inclusive, affirming, justice centered, centered around the person and work of Christ, gracious, um, go deep and wide in scripture. And you can find churches like that. We have a map of churches like that all over the place. If you're looking for a place to connect, postevangelicalcollective.org. Love it. Zach, thanks for being on. We'll talk again soon. 
You're the man, Tom. Bye. All right, friends. There you go. I mean, there's the conversation. It was it was awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I would love your feedback. You know, I always ask you for this every single episode. I go, what do you think? Uh, many of you, by the way, did tell me you like more podcasts. You like more content like this. You like long-form content. You got it. I will keep it coming. I love talking about this stuff if you can't tell. Hey, we're a nonprofit organization. We do all this work completely paywall-free. Literally, there is no barrier to entry. You can see all of our content completely free. If you want to support our work, you can donate in the link below. All donations are tax deductible. Give this channel a subscribe. We're really trying to grow the YouTube channel, doing more video content. Thanks for being here. We'll talk again soon if I can find my end button. Okay, I found it. Deuces. See ya. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIT preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWHVACTrainingSC.com to enroll. Inquire.